Well, good morning, everyone. We're continuing on in our series, Acts of the Apostles. And what an exciting time it was in the new church. When the Holy Spirit got a hold of them, boy, he changed their hearts, their love, their passion, their purpose. And today, in today's message, we find the great apostle Paul on trial before King Agrippa and the Roman governor Festus. See, Paul has now been given the opportunity to give a defense for his action. And he uses this opportunity to share his salvation testimony. I can't, uh, I can't expect anything less from Paul. He said, you want to take me prisoner? Well, you're going to listen to the gospel. Amen. And I, listen, I want to set the stage by reading. And just to properly set the stage, I want to read from Acts chapter 25. I'm going to read the whole chapter and then Acts 26. So if you have your Bible um, and you want to follow along with me, I'm going to cover this uh, pretty quick. Acts chapter 25. Here we go. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem, planning to ambush him and kill him on the way. But Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea. And on the following day, he took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? Paul replied, No. This is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. Just so you know, Paul was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. Citizenship is pretty good, amen? I'm glad to be a citizen of the United States. I'm also glad to be a citizen of heaven, amen? No, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty of harming the Jews, If I've done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I'm innocent, no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There's a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish leaders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They must be given an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. Well, when his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion. 
resurrection and a dead man named Jesus, who Paul insists is alive, I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things. So I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial in these, uh, on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor. So I ordered that he be held in custody until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said. And Festus replied, you will tomorrow. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he's done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write the emperor? For there's no clear charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one here in my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please, listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times in the synagogues, them to curse Jesus. I was so violently oppressed, opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world and what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness 
for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to arise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. You see, when these pagan rulers hear what Paul testifies about that that's happened to him and what the Savior um, that he claims to serve has called him to do, (laughs) Festus calls Paul a madman. You're mad. Look at the next verses. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. Paul, you're nutty as a fruitcake. Sir, you don't have both oars in the water. Your elevator doesn't reach the top floor, Paul. Paul, the wheel's spinning, but the hamster's missing. You get the idea. Paul, you've gone crazy. You're mad as a hatter. See, when these pagans heard what Paul was doing before he met Jesus Christ and what happened to him when he met Jesus Christ and what he has been saying and doing since he met Jesus Christ, they concluded that he'd gone absolutely bonkers. They honestly thought he was crazy. In fact, I've titled this sermon this morning, I'm not crazy, I'm saved. Amen. All right. You know, say, well, I think he's normal. Listen, folks, normal is simply a setting on your dryer. That's it. The rest of it's up for grabs, eh? Well, when the world looks at this thing we call Christianity, when they look at a life that's being lived for Jesus, they often conclude that they're crazy. And I would say to them, I'm not crazy. I'm saved. So for the next few minutes, I want to point out Three areas of Paul's testimony that Festus and the others thought was crazy. First, let's take a look at his teachings. His teachings sounded crazy. What were the claims that Paul was making? Well, he he saw a light in verse 13. In the middle of the day, he saw a bright light, brighter than the sun. Right. Right, Paul. And then, then he said he met the Lord Jesus Christ... The person Paul said he met on the road to Damascus is the very one that everyone knew had been put to death by Pontius Pilate. This crazy preacher is running around and around telling everybody that Jesus is alive. He was preaching the doctrine of resurrection, and that, of course, is not humanly possible, right? No wonder they thought Paul had lost his marbles. Paul's statement may have sounded bizarre to the pagan Romans, 
But to anyone who knew Christ or knows Christ, his statement was made perfect sense. It made perfect sense. And, and here's why. Because every saved person has seen the light I was talking about. Amen. Look at what he wrote about in 2 Corinthians 4. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Peter, the apostle, wrote in 1 Peter 2, he said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Let that soak in for a minute. He's talking to you, believers. You're God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. So every saved person has seen the light. So if somebody asks you, have you seen the light? Yes, I've seen the light. He is Jesus Christ. Well, every saved person has met the risen Lord that Paul preached about. That's why this makes sense. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what these three young people professed this morning. Paul turned around and wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. Listen, the faith that we had to believe, that wasn't even ours. It was a gift of God. So that no one could boast. We all come on the same playing field. We all stand guilty, and by his grace, he offers us salvation, but he gives us the faith to believe. After all, we talk about things that cannot be seen or handled. Amen? Yeah. Like, we talk about a baby born to a virgin, a Savior who was crucified, buried, and rose again. Um, we talk about the blood of Jesus away our sins. God who we say created the whole universe and everything. We say have a home in heaven with him someday and the Jesus to take children to heaven to be with him. Amen. Yes, we do believe some things that seem crazy to a lost world. But to those who have been lost in the day of sin and have and have met we're not crazy we're saved let me read by a couple of you excited we're saved there we go well let's continue his teaching sounded crazy his testimony sounded crazy too Verses 4 through 12. Think about all the things that Paul was before he was saved. First, he was a religious man. Yeah. Verse 5. They have known me for a long time and contested if they are willing that I of our religion living as a Pharisee. I don't want you to miss this. Think about all the things that Paul was before he got saved. He was a religious man. Then he got saved. 
Religion and salvation have nothing to do with each other. Salvation has all to do about a relationship. Amen? So Paul was a religious man. He was also a zealous man. He said, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. He was very zealous for the cause. And all God did was change his cause. He used Paul with the same zealousness, same fervor, the same commitment. Now, instead of killing Christians, he was promoting Christ. He was also a man of considerable wealth, position, power, and influence. This was what he was like before he was saved. Uh, Verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. He was hobnobbing with the top. I remember when we were in Paris, we went to the cathedral. We were going to listen to a guest organist. Pay their, they got a, uh, an immense uh, pipe organ. And so we went in a little bit early and we caught the very back, uh, very end of a, of a mass. It was not only in Latin, but it was in French. So it was two languages we didn't understand. And I remember sitting way, way back and it felt like about a quarter of a mile. And... Uh, I knew who was the top guy. You know how I knew who the top guy was? He had the tallest hat. Oh, yeah. And he was swinging the incense. See, that's what religion's about. And Paul, he was connected to the chief priests. Yet, when Paul met the risen Savior, he simply walked away from his old life and began to serve the Lord. Immediately. He had been feared by the church and respected by his peers. And now just because he saw a light and talked to a man whom everybody else believed was dead, he has thrown everything he knew and loved away. That's called repentance, folks. That's what we talked about that, didn't we, Abigail? We talked about repentance means I'm sorry that I did it. I'm not sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that I did it and I was going this way and now I'm going to go that way. And salvation cannot happen without repentance. Hear me. Hear me. Paul wrote about it in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. But he further addresses this redemption as redemption of the spirit and not the flesh. I want to make sure we grab this. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. He talks about it in Romans 7. Here's Paul saying about himself. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Anybody identify with it? Yeah, yeah. I... For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, well, then I agree that the law is good. See, the law is the benchmark. 
It's what brings condemnation and shows us the need for Jesus. It is not the salvation. See, in Jesus' day, the reason he got so upset with the Pharisees and the scribes is they were teaching people to worship the law instead of the lawgiver. The law is simply the benchmark that tells us right from wrong. So he said, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, catch this, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. The King James says, it is sin that still dwells in my flesh. You ever wonder why we still sin? Because your flesh has not been redeemed. Your spirit has been redeemed. That person, that old person has passed away and the new person has come. That's your spirit. But we're still living in the flesh. And Paul, when he began to look at this, he goes, wait a minute. Why do I do the things that I don't mean to do? And why don't I do the things that I'm supposed to do? And I'm going, yeah, I want to hear the answer to this. It's because it's not me. Paul, the renewed spirit, it's Paul, the flesh, and the battle wages, moment by moment, day by day. Paul flushes it out in these verses. While the saint of God still has an old nature or the sin that craves what it's always wanted, selfishness, pride, self-importance, and while the saint of God is still capable of committing any sin that can be imagined, The saint of God has help on the inside now. That's the difference. People say, well, are you perfect? No. Never was. Never will be till Jesus gets a hold of me and takes me to heaven. But in God's sight, I am perfect. Now, why is that? Is it based on my performance? Are you kidding? (laughs) No, it's based on Jesus' performance. (laughs) Woo! I am so, so glad about that. That it's not based on my performance, it's based on what Jesus has done and given me by his grace. See, when we accept this, he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. You talk about a deal. That's the best deal in the world. The Holy Spirit of God acts as a spiritual buffer in us. He strengthens the child of God. He guides the child of God. He empowers the child of God. And he will never leave the child of God. And you know how you can tell that? If you're obeying, you're enjoying. If you're being disobedient, under conviction. You cannot get away from him. If you're his, you're his forever. Amen? So his teaching sounded crazy, his testimony sounded crazy, and his task sounded crazy. He claims to have seen a light that was brighter than the sun. Okay, Paul. He claims to have talked to a dead man who's now alive. This sounds crazy, doesn't it? He said that this man had called him to leave behind a life of affluence, power, position, prestige, prominence, and prosperity to all to go and tell a lost world that they too should follow this once dead but now living Lord. Wow. That must have sounded absolutely ludicrous 
to everyone in that chamber that day. And I can see why Festus said, Paul, you're crazy. You're crazy. Next week, though, we're going to talk about a decision that the king that was listening to this almost made. But see, his Paul, Paul's call from God was so real to him that he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 9. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. That word compelled means I cannot help myself. I must preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So back to our original text. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sobering truth. Sister and brother in Christ, do you know that the same call that rested on Paul's shoulders has been placed on yours and mine as well? See, when you feel compelled to tell someone about a crucified, risen, returning, and reigning Lord Jesus, you're not crazy, you're saved. You may appear to the world to be crazy, but I'd rather be in communion with Jesus than the world. Tried it, I did not enjoy it. I'll tell you what's crazy. Knowing the love of Jesus and not being willing to share it with the lost world around you. That's crazy. And I'll tell you something else that's crazy. Is hearing about the salvation gospel of Jesus Christ and rejecting it. That's crazy. We need to get a little more vocal about this. We need to be a little more convincing. We need to speak with boldness and fervor. Maybe we should even act a little crazy. So I ask you this morning in closing, have you personally accepted God's gracious offer of salvation? You see, it's not a logic. None of it makes sense, logical sense. It's a faith. God said it. He told us right up, without faith, you cannot please me. So if you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, to say, God, I want what Jesus did to pay for my sin. I want him to make my personal savior. You can do that this morning. And there is no logical reason for you to wait. Don't you listen to the father of lies going, you can do that tomorrow or next week. You don't know you have tomorrow or next week. Today is the day of salvation. And if you're here this morning and God's tugging, you'll know who you are. If he's calling you, you can tell. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads right now. Just no rush. Just being quiet. Saying, Father, reach out to those that you would call. And draw, draw them to you. If you're sitting in your chair and you can sense that, you feel that tightness in your chest and you you know that this is you. Just give him your heart. He loves you just the way you are.
Just all you have to do is admit that you've sinned. Because once you admit you sinned, then you know you need a Savior. Because no sin gets in. So just tell God, I've sinned. And I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. And I want to have Jesus be my personal Savior this morning. Forgive me of my sins, Father. Cleanse me. Come into my life. Give me this Holy Spirit that we've been talking about that changed the apostles forever. Come in, Lord Jesus, come in. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, it happened based on our faith. So one way to show God your faith is to say thank you. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I would than to be able to pray with you and to talk your decision with you. Make sure that you fully understand and give you assurance in Scripture that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Christian, believers, are you thankful for your salvation? Are you sharing the gospel with others? Is your flesh winning out over your spirit or is the spirit winning over the flesh? You see, whichever one you feed is going to be the stronger. And I want you to pray with me. Believers, pray with me. Say, God, I know I'm dealing with the flesh and I need your strength. I need to be submissive to your spirit. There are times that Father, I know you've spoken to me and I've blown you off. I've ignored you and I ask you to forgive me for that because I know that what you know is best and you want what's best for us. God, work amongst us this morning. Touch our hearts. Give us boldness. Lord, make us crazy about you. And this I ask for Jesus' sake. And for all he's done. Amen.